Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, where we explore the leading practices that have emerged in Busyance PI collaboratives. I'm Marilyn Sherrill, Performance Improvement Program Director at Visient and your host for today's episode. In this podcast, we'll discuss the emerging practices presented during the Mortality Interhospital Transfers Collaborative. One of the challenges of interhospital transfers and any transfer of care for that matter is they can be a major source of preventable medical errors. One prospective study revealed that adverse events during interhospital transfers occurred up to 30% of the time. Poor communication during handoffs is the root cause of many adverse events. Patients are transferred between hospitals for multiple reasons beyond medical necessity. For example, to adjust for patient preferences, bed availability, and hospital staffing patterns. This creates a setting in which complex and often critically ill patients are subject to variable and sometimes ambiguous handoff processes. During the Interhospital Transfers Collaborative, our goal was to understand some of this variation and work together with our members to implement leading practices and successful strategies. We also explored several important questions regarding whether all transfers are appropriate. What is the percentage of patients who are transferred with a high expected mortality? And when is the right time to bring in palliative care? And how does all of this impact the patient and family experience? Joining me today to talk about their EDICU and telemedicine programs and how they impact interhospital transfers are two physicians from Augusta University Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia. Dr. Max Bursey, Associate Professor, Emergency Medicine and Critical Care Service Chief, and Dr. Matthew Lyon, Professor of Emergency Medicine, Associate Dean, Experiential Learning Vice Chair, Academic Programs and Research Service Chief, Virtual Care, Medical College of Georgia. Dr. Bursey and Dr. Lyon, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, glad to be here. So happy to have you. So, Dr. Lyon, we'll start with you. Let's begin by telling the listeners a bit about the healthcare environment in the state of Georgia. As most people think of Georgia, they think of Atlanta, a very large city with lots of people and lots of resources. But unfortunately, Georgia is mostly a rural state. So healthcare in Georgia is defined by geography. There's scattered cities of uh, different sizes across the state, and the resources for healthcare are usually located in those cities. The interstate between those are usually pretty healthcare poor environments, a lot of disparities between urban and rural care. And so it really presents a unique challenge for taking care of the citizens of Georgia when they're spread across such a large geographical area with concentrations of health care. The other thing is, is that Georgia has a lot of counties, the second most counties in the country. A lot of the counties have a community hospital. Unfortunately, when there's so many community hospitals in a state, particularly where there's less patients, less people per county, there's not a lot of resources at each one of those county hospitals. And so the county hospitals often do not have the resources to take care of high complexity patients, which then means that those rural patients have to be transferred to a city for good care. We've been working on this issue for a long time of trying to improve the complexity of care that can be taken care of in rural Georgia. And that's one of the missions here at our university. Wow. So what was the driving force that led to the development of each of the services that the two of you are going to talk to us about today? Well, we have two particular services we're talking about. One of them is our telemedicine service, and the other is our ED-based critical care unit. 
Dr. Bercy is going to talk about the ED critical care unit in detail, but for telemedicine, large geography, hard to reach these rural environments. Tried many solutions over the years to aid these rural hospitals in increasing their complexity of care. And what you find is that telemedicine is a tool that geography becomes less of an issue. We can be in those hospitals as care providers, but not having to travel to be in those hospitals. So we envision telemedicine being originally in the emergency department where the most critical patients are, where most of the transfers occur. If we could be in those environments right when those decisions were being made, we could affect those transfers. We could keep low acuity patients from being transferred. If a patient did have a critical need, we could affect a time-based intervention uh, in a more timely manner. But as the pandemic taught us, we needed to be able to be in these hospitals from triage all the way through discharge. So our two programs that we do with telemedicine are an ED to ED telemedicine service and what we call telecritical care, which is really taking care of patients after the emergency department, helping those providers in those rural hospitals provide the best care possible to those patients, keeping them in rural hospitals. We've demonstrated over time that we were able to meet our mission of keeping more rural patients in rural Georgia, decreasing the number of transfers, which not only helps them, it also helps us because we're getting less of the low complexity transfers coming into our hospital, which then allows us to provide higher complexity care to other patients coming into our health system. Wow, that really makes a difference for the people of Georgia. So the tele. ED program inception started in January of 2020. So fast forward to today, and how has that evolved? It was originally developed to intervene in patient care in the emergency department, but when the pandemic came along, it was pretty clear that for a successful telemedicine program, it needed to be able to intervene anywhere along that patient's journey in that rural hospital from triage all the way to discharge and even post-discharge planning follow-up, post-acute care, those kind of things. So our telemedicine program really has evolved by becoming a more holistic program, being able to take care of patients anywhere on that journey. We started off with about five hospitals. We actually dropped down to three at the beginning of the pandemic when ED volumes and hospital volumes dropped. But we've now grown up to 14 hospitals over the last 18 months. We call it telecritical care. It's a way to convey to the inpatient teams that we can handle pretty much any emergency they have, any kind of complex care that they're trying to take care of in their hospital. But we also are emergency physicians. So we always have our ED as our backup. And now we have our ED critical care unit that Max is going to talk about, where we can bring people to ourselves when it exceeds the capability of those rural hospitals. So a lot's changed over time, both in the complexity of care we can give via telemedicine because our skills have improved and our relationships with these hospitals, but also because on the other end, our EDICU is now up and running. And so we don't have to rely on transferring to another service, another department in our hospital. We can continue the care even after we bring it to ourselves. Great. So telecritical care. Thanks for that clarification. So Dr. Bercy, we're going to turn to you now and have you tell us more about the EDICU. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to. So our Emergency Critical Care Center, or EC3, is an ICU space that's a subdivision of our emergency department. The purpose of the EDICU is to provide high-level, inpatient-level critical care to patients while they're in the emergency department. This was a project that we started planning a couple of years ago and then got fast-forwarded by demand from COVID. We serve a couple of different populations in the EDICU. One is patients who are awaiting a bed upstairs. So they need an ICU bed, but there just isn't one available. So instead of that patient just boarding in the emergency department, we'll move them over into the EDICU where we have a dedicated staff and faculty who can take care of that patient at an ICU level. Another group of patients that we focus on are what we call the short-stay ICU admissions. So those are patients who have a critical care need, but that need is projected to last less than about 48 hours. So we can take that patient and put them into the EDICU, resolve their ICU needs. So that may be an insulin drip and a DKA patient or COPD with a BiPAP requirement or something like that, that lasts for about 24 to 48 hours, resolve that ICU need, and then be able to disposition them to the floor or sometimes even home. Give us an example of a typical transfer request, how these two services that we've just discussed interact in that request, and what are the various scenarios that might ensue? Yeah, that's a great question. So our... EDICU and telemedicine critical care programs work very closely together because they're more or less staffed by the same faculty. So oftentimes when we're following patients via the telemedicine critical care program, that patient may develop a demand that exceeds the capability of the hospital that they're at. So in that circumstance, we can bring the patient to the EDICU. It's a great advantage to us because usually we've already been following that patient on telemedicine for several days. So we know what the patient looks like. We know what they need. We have an idea of the trajectory that they're on. And we've already been able to implement parts of our plan already before they've even been transferred. So it provides this excellent continuity of care to be able to bring that patient that we've already been following into our EDICU and we can just pick right up where we left off with telemedicine. That's great. I'm sure the patient outcomes are greatly impacted by that whole continuity of care that you talked about. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask this next question. So bear with me. Can you speak to how this may or may not impact Imtala? That's a great question. Imtala is definitely a double-edged sword. It was designed to protect patients from being dumped onto other hospitals and make sure that they get the evaluation and care that they need in an emergency circumstance. The problem with Imtala is that once a patient in a rural hospital gets admitted into an inpatient setting, Imtala essentially doesn't apply anymore. So the rural hospitals can be very, very reluctant sometimes to admit patients that are borderline on their capability or anything like that because there's a fear that they may not be able to transfer that patient subsequently if they deteriorate. So we solve that problem by continuing to follow patients via telemedicine, keeping up with what's going on with them. And then if a transfer need arises, we're still able to bring them to us, which kind of skirts around the Imtala issues. This allows the rural hospitals to keep a much broader selection of patients than they might normally and has given them a much higher comfort level with admitting patients that they might not normally admit and would just move to transfer. Thank you. I know that's a question that came up frequently during the collaborative. So my next question is, what have been some of the greatest challenges that you've experienced as you move forward with these services and provide them on a day-to-day basis? What are some of those challenges you can share with the listeners? Max and I have different perspectives from each of our 
roles in this program. But from a telemedicine perspective is that uh, a lot of people didn't know what telemedicine was. So not only did we have to teach the rural hospitals how telemedicine worked, but all of our providers. Telemedicine is much more than just an iPhone, a FaceTime visit. And so getting them to understand how to do a physical exam, how to assess a critical patient, how to not miss somebody deteriorating when you can't be there at bedside was probably our greatest challenge. It is the thing that most of our clinicians fear is that they're going to miss something that's a critical illness. Whereas when they start doing the program and get some repetition, see a few patients, pick up uh, something that was easily missed and realize how well the system works, their comfort level increases. And once their comfort level increases, they become just like they're standing at bedside. Likewise, nurse staffing in the EDICU has been a significant challenge. The EDICU is staffed by our ER nurses that staff our resuscitation bays in the main ED, but it's a big challenge for them to move over to that ICU level documentation, for example, and adding in some of the finer details that occur in the ICU, like patient turning and even things like diets that we typically don't order in the emergency department. I mean, getting our nurse staff kind of also trained up to provide that ICU level of care has definitely been a challenge I and mean, it's an ongoing process. We see the same thing with our telemedicine program as well. The rural hospitals oftentimes have very good nurses, but they just may not have the experience to take care of the critically ill patient that we're trying to keep in the rural hospital. Over the course of these programs, we've implemented ongoing education program that occurs regularly. It's actually multidisciplinary, so it's not just nursing, it's respiratory therapy, physicians, PAs, MPs, nurses, techs, et cetera, anybody that wants to come to help them feel more comfortable keeping that patient. And it helps ensure that we are providing a high quality ICU level of care. Well, that's great. I'm sure they appreciate that education. I think that's a wonderful service that you provide and it benefits everyone. So that's awesome. If you could provide some important lessons learned for organizations, what would those be? Things to avoid or include if our listeners are interested in implementing some of your strategies? Yes. From a telemedicine perspective, there's a couple of pitfalls that probably should be looked at. For one of them, telemedicine is not just FaceTime or audio and video conferencing. There's a lot to know about how to do a critical care exam using a telemedicine platform. It's something that can cause a lot of anxiety in your providers. So what I would suggest is starting off slow and then gradually building as their skills improve and as their comfort improves so that you don't have any misses in the beginning of your program. The other thing is having it co-located with our critical care team and our EDICU or EC3 really helps because if there's a patient that you feel uncomfortable with, you can go and get an expert consult pretty readily. The other thing is from a rural hospital perspective, it's often a little intimidating for them to seek guidance from an academic health center. So being aware of the limitations that they may have in asking you for help, being sensitive to how you respond, realizing that they may have limitations in their abilities and their medications and their equipment that prevents them from carrying out certain interventions you would like. Being sensitive to their limitations in a rural environment helps you help them provide the best care possible in the situation they're in. It's also been a lot of lessons learned for me in developing our EDICU. One of the biggest challenges that I did not anticipate was actually the information technology piece. Because 
Our EDICU is staffed by emergency faculty with critical care oversight and by emergency nurses. All of the patients are in our emergency department EMR and rather than the inpatient EMR. And when that was built, it just wasn't built to do the types of tasks and documentation that are required for an ICU patient. So it's been a big, steep learning curve to try to train everybody on how to accomplish that ICU level documentation, as well as a significant effort in developing the EMR to be able to accommodate that. I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate all the lessons learned and things to watch out for if they end up taking some of what you've done and trying to implement in their organizations. So, all right, I'm going to give you kind of the floor to say, what else do we need to know? Well, as everyone knows, healthcare is changing and the pandemic has accelerated a few areas. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think telemedicine's ever going away as a platform to deliver healthcare. So I think we all should get familiar with how it works, how it can be utilized for best patient care, and then start incorporating those skills into our delivery models. Emergency departments are no exception to that. We think of an emergency department as really hands-on activity, but telemedicine really needs to be part of that practice also. As we get into the future and as healthcare costs continue to escalate and there's more and more pressures to reduce costs, the telemedicine is one of those tools that can really prevent unnecessary transfers in our example, from rural hospitals, but it could be from anywhere, from nursing homes to post-acute rehab facilities. I mean, there's a lot of places where telemedicine can fit in for more of a population health management aspect. Yeah, and just to follow up on how the face of medicine is changing, across the nation, we have a aging population with an increasing demand for critical care services. And in most places, there hasn't been a concurrent increase in any critical care capacity in tertiary hospitals. And so the development of our EDICU has allowed us to make sure that those patients are taken care of and getting the services that they need. And then our partnership with the telemedicine program really provides a comprehensive solution, both within Augusta University Emergency Department for our critically ill patients, as well as our rural hospitals hospital partners. Those are really great insights, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Max Bercy and Dr. Matt Lyon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. It's been our pleasure. Thank you all. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I'd like to thank Dr. Max Bercy and Dr. Matt Lyon for speaking with us today, and thank you to all our listeners for taking the time to join us. And please look for future Knowledge on the Go podcasts. For Vizient's PI Collaboratives team, I'm Marilyn Sherrill. Please join us for more Knowledge on the Go. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at picollaboratives at vizientinc.com. <laughs>